The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 14. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing the original series, the 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 granddaddy of all Star Trek. Uh, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, um, as I said, we're going to discuss the uh, original series. And uh, in, in an overview, uh, we're going to kind of look at, you know, the individual episodes, although we may talk about them a little bit, but, but we're going to look at the, the show in the sense of um, its place in, cult, in our culture, its place at the, at the forefront of Star Trek and uh, all the, um, you know, all the different ways that it set the stage for everything that followed and that sort of thing. Um, you know, stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Did I say stuff too many times? Um, so, you know, we talked last time about when, you know, when we first encountered Star Trek and, uh, you know, what we are, when we watched it and that sort of thing. Um, and for you and me, Dom, the original series was the first Star Trek that we encountered. Father right. Corey was. Right. Did, did I understand your first encounter was Next Gen, or was it also original the movies. series? It was the movies. The movies, okay. You know, and that, that's the yeah, you know, that's the thing is I I don't have as much familiarity with the the original series as I do with series and the movies going after it. But uh, when I grew up, is when you know the original movies were coming out. You know, uh, second, third of the original mm-hmm. movies or when I kind of, uh, I started to have an awareness of Star Trek. Okay. But it was so still the, the purpose- same original series characters. Exactly. And, and for the purpose of our discussion, I want to, when I say original series, I think we can include the movies that, that included the original series crew. So, uh, Star Trek's one through six, six, I mean, generations had, yeah, it's kind of ish. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> that, that was that was really a next gen movie. So, but so we could go you know, like one through six, um, and just kind of talk about like first of all, like you know, our overall impressions of the original series and how it sits in the scheme of things. So, just to kind of in, in case you know you're a younger fan, um, where what, what do we have? So we had uh, a three well, season. I was going to say the three season original run, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with 79 episodes uh, and an unaired pilot that then got turned into a two part episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it was uh, September 1966 to June 1969. And yeah. It, and it was the brainchild of Gene Roddenberry, whose vision for the series was sort of like a. He, 
He called it Wagon Train to the Stars, which means nothing to anyone under the yeah, age of yeah. like 60. So Wagon Train was a show that they had back in the 60s, and he used it as a way of explaining Star Trek to um, to TV executives and others. Wagon Train, basically you had certain, in each season of Wagon Train, you had the story of a wagon train heading from the east, bringing people to settle in the west. And you had certain recurring characters that were your main cast who were there every week. And then they had guest stars who were people either... Uh, travelers in the wagon train that you saw only in that episode or um, people they encountered along the way on their journey west. And so this is the same kind of model uh, for uh, as opposed to like a sitcom where it's basically the same characters every week and there are guest stars don't happen that often. Um, so this was something TV executives could understand. We're going to have a main cast that we're going to have every week. And then we're going to have people who are part of our crew that we see for an episode, but they're mm -hmm. not regulars. And then we're going to have get other guest stars who are people they encounter on the places they go to. Right. Right. And I, I think that the aspect too of, you know, the adventure, the journey that is so much a part of Star Trek uh, is kind of tied into that as well, that it's not, you know, yes, we've got the regular sets of the ship, but that ship is going to different locations. It's different scenarios that are it's encountering and so on based on its journeys. Yeah. yeah. The, the important thing to keep in mind is, is it's is in the to place this in time, the series in time, you know, episodic TV of this type was really only about 10 years old. Like they'd only been making right. shows like this. I mean, there were there was uh, variety shows and early TV. There was. Um, some sitcoms, right? They 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 had a lot of like Playhouse ninety dramas that they would do that were just complete one offs, right. right? And a lot of stuff was on sound stages, never went mm -hmm. outdoors. I mean, you look at some of the early, like you, there were a lot of westerns in the sixties because you know you're, you well, most of it was filmed in California. It was nice and easy to do, yeah. And they were making a lot of western movies, and so that that was easy to do. Um, you know, things like Gunsmoke and uh, Bonanza and that sort of stuff. And, and a lot of those were filmed entirely on sound stages, right. almost entirely, except for when they, they had like stock footage of someone riding a horse somewhere. Um, well, it's, you know, we, we've talked about when we were talking about Doctor Who on our Secrets of Doctor Who uh, podcast that, you know, some of the early episodes, it felt like these were radio and stage actors. Well, they were. Yes. You know, exactly. a lot of these early actors, they cut their chops on radio dramas, on stage you know, doing dramas on stage, things like that. So you, TV really didn't have its own set of actors as a stable like it does today. Right. Exactly. And so uh, and so then Star Trek comes along and um, it wasn't a it, it, it had an audience and it was sort of it was new, but it wasn't as big as it became until after it was canceled. Right. Um, and and there's a, <clears throat> something of a story behind that that goes into it's kind of based on Gene Roddenberry himself. It'd probably be worth our while to talk about him for a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. um, he originally. So Roddenberry had a kind of varied career. He wasn't always a TV guy. Um, originally, he had been I think he was in the Air Force and yeah. yep. and that inspired some of Star Trek. He then became a cop. 
and uh, and that played a role in his career. Then, <clears throat> while he was a police officer, he started writing for television, and he would write, you know, cop shows. He would write westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 wrote some episodes of a series. Um, I'm, oh, I'm blanking on the name. Have gun will travel. The character's name is Paladin in that show. And oh, yeah. Paladin has been kind of compared to a fusion of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Um, the he's He's got Kirk's decisiveness and adventure. He's got Spock's brains and McCoy's empathy. Um, and so even though Roddenberry didn't create the character Paladin, he kind of cut his teeth on Paladin. And he also wrote for other shows, some of which by his own admission were terrible. One of them was called Mr. District Attorney, which was an adaptation of a radio show. Um, and I kind of would like to, I haven't heard the radio show, but when it was only on the radio, they never referred to the main character by his name. He was always just chief to his employees or (laughs) Mr. District Attorney to everyone else, which I think is kind of a neat convention. Um, on the TV show, they gave him a name, but, uh, he, then Roddenberry created a show called the Lieutenant and the Lieutenant was aired on NBC it was uh, based around a character in the U.S. Marine Corps, and it was filmed out here, as you would expect, out here in California, just up the road from me, just north of San Diego. There's a, a famous Marine base oh, called sure. Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, and so they got the cooperation of the Marine Corps, and uh, they filmed it at Camp Pendleton. They they got all these military props and guys in uniforms they could use as extras and stuff. And Roddenberry was kind of a social crusader. And it's he he worked with like Nichelle Nichols was in the lieutenant and some of the other early Star Trek people were in the lieutenant. And he royally honked off both NBC and the Marine Corps uh, (laughs) when he wanted to do an episode of the lieutenant that involved racism in the Marine Corps. And um, and he NBC did not want to air the episode. The Marine Corps was threatening to pull its support of the series because they didn't want to be portrayed in that light as we're a bunch of racists. Um, And I mean, even if there were racists in the Marine Corps, and of course there were, they didn't want that as their institutional image. They were trying to overcome, you know, racism. And um, so Roddenberry went to the NAACP and asked them to put pressure on NBC to air the episode, which NBC then did once, and the Marine Corps pulled its support, and that killed the lieutenant. So Roddenberry had an antagonistic relationship with NBC that was sour from even before Star Trek aired. And then uh, after after the lieutenant, Roddenberry went to Desilu, uh, the studio that had been founded by Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball, and they were trying to build out their studio. They had a show based around Lucille Ball herself, and they were trying to expand their lineup, which gave them things like Mission Impossible and Star Trek, and they were kind of uncertain because science fiction was not a proven thing on TV at the time. And so Lucille Ball herself made the decision to go to pilot with Star Trek, giving us the first pilot, The Menagerie. 
The cage. It didn't. I'm sorry. It was originally called the cage. It, yeah. Right. Correct. I was thinking of the two-parter they made out of it. Um, then with the when the cage didn't fully deliver what they were looking for, they did the at the time unprecedented step of having a second pilot, which became where no man has gone before. And then they got the series go order and they produced a season of Star Trek. It they they got a second season, but Roddenberry continued to have this antagonistic reaction with NBC and NBC was looking to cancel Star Trek at the end of the second season. But the fans, led by B. Joe Trimble and her husband, um, mounted this, for the time, massive letter-writing campaign and saved it for a third season. But because the network didn't like doing business with Gene Roddenberry, they put it in the Friday night death slot. So they were mm. guaranteed low ratings and would have an excuse to finally kill it at the end of the third season. The so it's Friday night at 10 p.m., I think it was. Yeah. And so as a result, um, Roddenberry's had the force of personality to get it off the ground. But like a lot of creators, mm. that personality had sharp elbows that eventually doomed the series on screen because he was he had he, he had such an antagonistic relationship with NBC. He couldn't work with them and they didn't simply didn't want to do business with him and guaranteed low ratings that would give him an excuse to cancel. Yeah, we don't, we don't know any other major science fiction franchises that have creators who create a great franchise, but then r ruin it as they go <laughs> along. Do we, Lucas? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, it doesn't stop with Lucas either. There's plenty of those. Uh, <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is, you mentioned Lieutenant, a lot of the, the people that, you know, that, that the regular cast of uh, the original series came from the Lieutenant. Uh, Leonard Nimoy had been on that. Major mm -hmm. Barrett, who eventually became mm. Gene Roddenberry's wife, um, you mentioned Michelle Nichols. So it was, uh, you know, the, he. I don't know if this was common at the time, but he gathered a group of actors that he'd worked with before who wanted to continue to work with him, which was interesting. Um, I, and the, it was it was it was very fascinating. Like even today, the idea of a, of reworking a, a pilot uh, as a series. Mm. Uh, you know, to to get a second pilot is still somewhat uncommon, especially yeah, right. as much as they reworked the concept and the changed the cast and and that sort of thing. I thought that was I thought it was uh, it's fascinating that they did that. Uh, did you know what um, series took the Star Trek's place in the NBC lineup when the when they rejected the original pilot? Did you, do you know which one it was? Not off the top of my head. No, Lost in Space. They went with Lost in oh, Space. That's right. Instead of Star that. Trek. <laughs> So they went for the the more family oriented uh, as opposed to. Right. Uh, as I, rem I remember reading that. That was one of the reasons why they did reject the initial pilot is because they already had the science fiction right. program in in the works. Yes, uh, and then when when it went off the air, um, another new thing that came along that basically saved Star Trek was syndication. Like syndication yeah. was was relatively new. The idea of taking TV series that had been airing in regular time primetime slots and then right. re-showing them in in secondary markets or on secondary channels um uh, again and, and the, the land, landscape of tv is so different today than it yeah. used to be uh, and, it's hard to and talk this, about and this was something that was very much on the minds of the fans during the letter writing campaign because at the time there were no vcrs there was right. no home video right 
And you had, in order to have a chance at the syndication market, you had to get over 65 episodes because 65 episodes is 13 weeks mm -hmm. of five episodes a day. Uh, I'm sorry, of five episodes a week. So Monday through Friday for 13 weeks, which is one season of the year. You got four seasons in the year. Each is 13 weeks long. You need five episodes so you can have daily syndication during those 13 weeks. So you need 65 episodes. At the end of two seasons, they would have had 50 episodes or so. And that means that Star Trek would not have gone into syndication. It would They couldn't have sold it to stations. And consequently, it would have vanished forever. Right, mm -hmm. right. And it, so it's amazing. So, you know, that third season, so we can maybe start talking about some of the episodes. Yeah. That third season gets a lot of flack for bad yeah. stories. Uh, brain on the brain. What is brain? Yeah, Spock's brain being the worst, <laughs> the single worst episode of Star Trek ever. Uh, we all acknowledge that. But that third season also had some real iconic episodes that really have reverberated throughout the, the, the later series. Uh, stories like um, uh, the the Enterprise incident, which was the the, the uh, mm -hmm. one the, the one of the second, well, the first Romulan episode was the Balance of Terror, but the Enterprise incident with the cloaking device. Uh, and that that was based on a real incident that happened over in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. Now, obviously, they didn't have a cloaking device, right? <laughs> but it, but it was very topical at the time, right? Um, the Tholian Web, which introduced the Tholians, which were big, would be big throughout Star Trek. Um, Let that be your last battlefield was a was big uh, because it was essentially a discussion of race. Um, yeah, that's I mean, the one with the guys who were half black and half white on one side or the other. Right, they were and moon pies. The, yeah, and, and there's there's the great moment in that where you realize the point of contention with them is which side are they white or black on? And mm -hmm. up to that moment, nobody in the audience has noticed that they're white or black on different sides. Right. So and, it's like you get this shock of, wow, that I had not seen that and it's totally irrelevant and it's so important to them. Right, that making I mean, it's probably one of the best um, examples of how stupid racism is. Like that yeah, idea right. that someone is inferior because the the their their coloration split. really what <laughs> exactly yeah. the, the color on one side is different from the other. So that was a third season episode. Um, Plato's what, stepchildren has the not really the first interracial kiss, but <laughs> right, but one that's often billed as such. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, whom Gods Destroy, which was a, a, a sort of um, an iconic episode. Uh, it, it, Garth of Izar is introduced in that and um, a, a character that we, we're going to eventually talk about fan productions, by the way, of, of Trek, mm -hmm. of fan mm -hmm. truck Trek. Axanar. And, and Axanar yeah. is huge uh, in, for, for various reasons. Uh, but, um, but just to point out, there's some great episodes in that third season um and it's so we're, we're we were lucky to to get it uh even mm -hmm. even with the lower budgets and the attempts by nbc to get rid of the series yeah and there's some real stinkers too on head now to eden yay, <laughs> brother oh man talk about <laughs> talk about like yeah uh, what would um the uh the way to eden was that episode yeah talk about 
uh, stories that are entirely a product of their time. Like they just it is oh, yeah. space hippies. It was oh, so topical. <laughs> <laughs> a little really too topical. old space hippies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one um, one thing I'd like to do is sort of uh, kind of call out some of our favorite episodes. Now it's not a ranking, um, but sort of just and there's so many. I mean, you could probably I could probably pull out. 50 out of the 79 and say, these are great episodes, but kind of the, to hit on some of the big ones, like we've talked about the menagerie, uh, which was they took the cage and they, they basically put a frame narrative around it and turned it into two episodes. And, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you, you recognize it. It's the one where Spock, uh, uh, becomes a mutineer. Yeah, it takes over the Enterprise and takes Captain Christopher Pike, his old captain, the captain of the Enterprise, who's now uh, mute and confined to a wheelchair because of an accident, um, and t- is taking him to this other planet. And while the ship, which is you know locked into this course, is on its way to this planet, uh, Spock undergoes a court martial uh, where uh, a lot of the footage from the cage and a lot of the story from the cage is shown to us. In fact, pretty much the entire episode, as, as yeah. far as I understand. With the exception of a few scenes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a great story because um, I think it subverts the Spock character a little bit. Um, it, it, of course, it shows us a, a version of Trek that could have been. Um, and, and it introduces a lot of uh, empathy and uh, shows re- the relationship that's Spock had apart from the crew, uh, so uh, that's one of my one of my favorites uh, that I that I was watch when that's on. Um, you get a the, the one of the things about the cage is Spock was very different in that he was he had emotions. Yeah. Originally, the emotionless character was going to be the first officer number one, which was played who was played by uh, Majel Rod- Majel Barrett at the time. She yeah. later became Majel Barrett Roddenberry, and she was the emotionless one. So Spock had emotions in that. Oh yes, uh, a laughing Spock at one point, which made this the menagerie fun because when McCoy sees a laughing Spock in this recording of of, of the events of the cage, uh, <laughs> he he kind of. You know what? <laughs> yeah, the the class. He doesn't laugh as much as he kind of grins and maybe chuckles. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's dramatic comparatively, anyway. Um, what? So what? What do you have? Do you guys have any episodes that kind of stand out for you as among your favorites from the series from the '79 or the movies? Pa- Father Corey, you know, like I said, I haven't uh, seen. As much as of the original series as you guys have, uh, I've seen some episodes. You know, if, if I want to start off with the movies, of course, there's always the the thing about the original series movies. The odd <laughs> number ones were terrible. The even number ones were good. Yes, you know, and and it's interesting. I think actually one of my my favorite of the movies is number four. You know, uh-huh. the Voyage Home. Oh, yes. you know, which is so funny because that that seems like it should be such a cheesy plot, but mm-hmm. it's actually such a fun movie. It it is. That's the thing. Is it's like the, the, there's that classic um, attempt to hey, what if we put this uh, this alien thing in our time and we had all the yep. references to our time? And Star Trek has done this a number of times and not, nowhere right. as successfully as this one. I, I right. would have to say. But uh, uh, I agree. You know, if I if I want to look at the the series of, of the episodes I've seen, I, I think the the two I can uh, point at is the ultimate computer. 
mm-hmm. where the M5 computer is coming to take over the responsibility for the entire starship. And yep. it's just it's it's a great I mean, first of all, it's it's a great, you know, questioning of technology. And it's something actually, you know, with, with self-driving cars and things like that becoming a reality now, we almost need to go go watch this episode again. It's a timeless um, concept. Yeah. You know, it's a timeless concept, but also the, the issue of, you know, Daystrom himself. Where he was this super genius that developed the the main computer of these starships as a you know a teenager as a very very young adult you know maybe in his twenty I can't remember if he was like teenager or tw- early twenties but he was very young and now he's kind of at that point of okay I need to produce more yeah I've had my flash in the pan now I need to produce more uh, and then the kind of the fickleness of fame that goes with that right. Um, the other other episode I could really point off the top of my head, of course, is Mirror Mirror. Yes, mm-hmm. the the, 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 uh, mirror, the mirror Image Universe, um, you know, and that that that's a, a classic. And, and even if you've not seen original series, if you've seen any Star Trek, you're familiar with Mirror Mirror. Well, you know he's evil Spock because he has the little goatee. That's the right, yeah. <laughs> which is why we all have full beards. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're not. We don't have evil goatees. We have full beards. We're teddy bears. We're good guys. <laughs> yep. There just happens to be a goatee embedded in there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> if we Jimmy, shave our goatee, you know. Yes. No. Yeah. Jimmy, <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you have um, any that stand out for you as among your favorites? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are quite a number of good ones. In the first season, favorites would include Balance of Terror, yes. which is essentially run silent, run deep with the Romulans. It's like a submarine movie. Um, also, uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday, which is the first time they time travel and go back to the 20th century. And there's this great moment where the Enterprise, which is not really designed to go in an atmosphere, appears in the Earth's upper atmosphere and they think it's a UFO and they scramble jets after it. Right. Um, which <laughs> Technically, is the, it is a UFO. It's an identified yeah. flying object. The, uh, the, the peak episode of the first season is City on the Edge of Forever yes. by Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is another time travel story involving, um, well, the character's name is Edith Keeler. Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on the actress's name, and she's so oh, famous. Joan Collins. Um, Joan Collins, yeah. And and in this one, Kirk has to sacrifice or allow a woman, not sacrifice, but allow a woman he's fallen in love with to die to save the future course of history. It's very emotionally effective. It's a great script by Harlan Ellison. But the thing is, Gene Roddenberry totally messed up the script. If you read the original script by Harlan Ellison, it's even more interesting. Um, but that's widely regarded as the best episode of the whole series. It's certainly the best of season one. In season two, uh, Mirror Mirror is a really good one. The Doomsday Machine is another one that was also very timely for the Cold War. Yep. Journey to Babel, where we get to meet Spock's parents. Uh, the Trouble with Tribbles, the first full-out <laughs> humor episode, which oh, is yes. awesome. Yep. Um, those are, those are the ones, I guess, from the second season. Um, oh, also, um, uh, the first one with, um, the first one with Khan, blanking on the Space name. Space Seed. Space Seed. Space yeah. Seed is really good. Yes. Uh, for me, the uh, other ones I would point out, maybe less, uh, some of them are less well known, but the, the Conscience of the King, where Kirk has to, um, he, a friend of his has um, – when Kirk was young, he was on a colony where there was a great disaster 
and the colony leader decided to solve the problem of not enough food for everyone by having half the people uh, killed Kill. so that the other half yeah. could live. Uh, it's and, this horrible... And, and completely implausibly, Kirk is one of like two people who can recognize the guy because apparently all video footage of him has vanished from the records. Right. The, the, but there's this whole this whole um, Shakespearean element to the to the episode that I really, I really love. Um, I, I have to recommend, by the way, a book called The Autobiography of James T. Kirk, which is oh, just idea. just that uh, what it sounds like. It's it's written in the first person of James T. Kirk. Uh, recounting his life and sort of telling the fuller story of a lot of these episodes. Um, so he tells the the tale of how the conscience of the king, how the, all of that worked, and of the city on the edge of forever, and some of this other stuff. And I, it worked for me. I liked it. I really, I did. I enjoyed it. I have to say that uh, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've the, heard of it. I'll have to check it out. Uh, I've heard. Well, the, I've heard it's an excellent, excellent the, book. The best part of it is they explain us. Um, Star Trek Five, the uh, the Cybox Search for God episode. They explain that as uh, one of these planets that had been contaminated by uh, the the breaking the Prime Directive, um, making Hmm. a movie about the uh, crew of the Enterprise, (laughs) which is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, It's so, uh, but of course, like you said, uh, City of the Edge of Forever is always one of my favorites. A Muck Time. Where we have, oh, I was going to mention, yeah, yeah, Spock goes goes into his mating cycle, <laughs> and we get uh, to Paul, who is the the ultimate all of Vulcan wrapped up in a package, which she, she yeah. really is, and we get the Vulcan Cal- culture, calculating calculating Vulcan babe, <laughs> right, right, yeah. uh, and, and but we get all of um that the Vulcan culture in that episode, which is really great, mm-hmm. um, and one which is sort of a nostalgic one for me. It's it may not be a great episode, but. Assignment Earth, which with Gary Seven and uh, Terry Gar. Uh, yeah, and and we should mention that one because that's a what that is is it was a backdoor pilot for yep. a spinoff series, mm. and it was a Doctor Who ripoff oh. because by by this point Doctor Who was on the air in England. Apparently, Gene Roddenberry and his co creator were aware of it, and so Gary Seven is. A man from another time and place. He's got the equivalent of a sonic screwdriver that he uses to do stuff. He's got a female assistant that goes places with him. And it's 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 Doctor Who done by Gene Roddenberry. You're right. That's true. That's so funny. Now that you say that, that, I never because I wasn't Doctor Who aware at at that time. But now that you say that, it's totally a ripoff. He's he's even got the mystery name Doctor Who Gary Seven. Yeah. Uh, and and not, not to mention the the the, uh, the cat who's also a woman who's mm-hmm. a cat, yep. which was uh, a, a bit of a mystery at the end of that episode. But it was a very different episode of Star Trek, and it, it, I have a nostalgic uh, affinity for that. The, now, for the movies, I have to say the the one movie that sort of broke the mold, uh, I feel like broke the the pattern of uh, odd Star Treks were bad was Star Trek Three with the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Mainly because of Christopher Lloyd as Commander Krug. I mean, Christopher oh, yeah. Lloyd was like an awesome Klingon captain. <laughs> I just loved him in that role. And the, uh, the way I put it with the odd even thing, it's a real phenomenon. But the way I put it is the odd ones are less are, are worse and the even ones are better. Sure. Um, okay. 
and and the and if you read like books about the making of the movies, it's clear that what happened like the first time they didn't quite know what they were doing. And then they realize, ow, we almost killed the franchise. Let's really try hard and do better. Get a good movie. <laughs> then, yeah. oh, hey, we just had a great movie. We can slack off now. Yep. And you and they keep right. this pattern of happening. Um, so Spock, the search for Spock, the third movie, is not as good as either the movie that precedes or follows it. Oh, but right. it does have some good points, one of them being Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Big, well, and then uh, John Larroquette as the... Uh, Yes. Officer, Moog. he's a Klingon officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moltz, Moltz, Yes, Joey uh, Chu, <laughs> Joey. I learned a lot of Klingon in that in that uh, series <laughs> or that movie. Uh, so let's switch uh, quickly. We've t- we've been talking for a while. Let's let's talk about the the characters, the big three: Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Now, this triumvirate we often talk about um, is is sort of key, and we and, and one of the ways that people talk about it is like. You have Kirk, the the leader, the captain, um, who's sort of the balance point, and Spock and McCoy uh, represent two different aspects of of leadership. Um, Spock is the logical, rational, um, whereas McCoy represents more the heart, the emotional, but also the compassion, the compassionate side. Um, and it was a very interesting and very quickly developed. A relationship between the three of them, and one of the aspects yeah. being uh, Spock and McCoy sort of antagonizing each other for their yeah. uh, different uh, personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this was not originally planned. I mean, in hindsight, it looks like, oh, this would be an obvious way to set things up. But it wasn't planned. Originally, DeForest Kelly was not slated to be a regular he was like going to be an occasional guy that they would bring in in some episodes kind of like scotty but he wasn't going to be the the prominent figure and so he he like spock was kind of a breakout character that they then promoted him to this much more regular status once they realized the dynamic that they had going with the three characters i mean now we we look back and we think how could we have star trek without Without McCoy, I mean, just it just wouldn't yeah. work. I, I think. I mean, he's a yeah. he is. It, it, and in fact, when you look at later Star Trek series, there's they're always they remix it so it's a little different. But you see how they take the functions of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and just reshuffle them a little bit. Right. So in Next Gen, you have Kirk split into Picard and Riker. You have Spock's intelligence split off into Data and his alienness split off into Worf. Mm-hmm. In uh, Star Trek Enterprise, you have exactly these three characters with the Southern compassionate guy now being the chief engineer right. and the Vulcan first officer with a sex change be- becoming to Paul right. and, and Archer is our Kirk surrogate. Well, so in, it's a very successful yeah. dynamic. In next gen, the, uh, the McCoy would be split between uh, Troy and Crusher, I think. Yeah. Which is yeah. one of the reasons why in the second season of next gen, which is what, not what we're talking about, but anyway, but, but the introduction of uh, Diana Muldor, uh, her character, um, as the oh, doctor, uh, not Crush. Was, who was? What was? I'm I'm blanking on her name now. Yeah, I, I can remember the actress, but I can't remember the character now. But anyway, Doctor uh, Pulaski. Pulaski, right, right. Why that didn't work was because we lost that element, uh, and and that that role she was playing was taken up by other characters already. 
Uh, plus, mm-hmm. she was her antagonism toward Data. I think people didn't like anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's for next next week, by the well, way. And even preview. even the antagonism towards Data was an attempt to recapture the Kirk Spock bickering. It just didn't work because McCoy was much more relatable than right. Pulaski. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, he had that Southern charm going on. That 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 sort of uh, folksy uh, um, country doctor thing going on. Yep. Which which is where we get that great line that we that we all use now. Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer or elevator yeah. repairman or whatever it is. <laughs> is I mean, it's it's such a great line, but it, but it's it it plays into that folksy country doctor aspect, which we exactly. which we love about him. Um, so uh, and then of course there's the great secondary crew. Uh, you know, you have mm-hmm. Sulu, you have uh, Uhura. Scotty, and then later on in the second season, we get Chekhov, uh, the rotating mm-hmm. uh, list of navigators now become Chekhov, wh- who, which is somewhat groundbreaking because in yes. the midst of the Cold War, we have a Russian navigator who's very proud to be Russian, yeah. by the way. Well, uh, and all of this was internet comically proud to be it instantly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, the but uh, you know as is all obviously always pointed out this is not just the, having a russian character was groundbreaking but having such a multiracial cast was groundbreaking mm-hmm. yes uh, we had uh, an asian uh, helmsman uh, an african american com- uh, communications officer yeah i mean this Technically was african female. she was she was from the united states of africa right right uh, uh, i guess i'm saying nichelle nichols being yeah the uh, african american yeah but uh, yeah female black Yes, female, right. And then, of course, the Scotsman. Of course, you know, that, mm-hmm. we'd have to have that diversity of a Scotsman <laughs> on the bridge. Who could drink aliens under the table. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. Scott, he's such a great character. I mean, they, they're all become so iconic characters in their own right, uh, part of our culture. I mean, that's an, yeah. that's another aspect of, of Star Trek is, is it's become such a, a fundamental part of our culture that even people who never watched it at least recognize some of the references to boldly go where no man has gone before, mm-hmm. despite Beam the split. Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up. Um, yeah, I mean, just live long and prosper. You know, yeah. All those things. Um, those have become such a part of our culture because of these the, the characters and the writing. So, um, so good. And um, not to not to forget the theme music by Alexander Courage. That yeah, uh, the theme music, which which in some form or another still exists in the various uh series after it right. except for enterprise which had that disastrous theme music <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that By in a couple way, weeks <laughs> so so speaking of the main theme song with the ooh, you know and the enterprise flying by and stuff great yep. opening sequence this is another example of how gene roddenberry was kind of a shady guy um he even even though this does not appear on screen ever, um, he wrote lyrics, which are terrible, by the way. But he wrote he wrote lyrics to the opening theme so that he could claim co-credit for creating it and get royalties. Ouch. Ouch. There is a we can, I don't know if we talk about more about this next time. Um there's a documentary on Netflix uh, narrated by William Shatner, um, but I'm going to have to find it about the creation of Next Generation, actually, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. The whole all the behind the scenes shenanigans and craziness. Uh, um, there were a lot. 
There's quite I a bit. I haven't seen this documentary though. I would like to watch it. Yeah, I'll have to find it. I think it's it was a while ago, and I think it was I think it was just next gen. I don't think it was Voyager, but maybe it included Voyager. Um, but there was some craziness behind the scenes in the the writing room and Gene Roddenberry, and uh, he was he he eventually you know. He was a controversial character. Let's just say that about him, mm-hmm. uh, especially in later years, um, uh, is because, I mean, frankly, Star Trek really catapulted him from just being some somewhat anonymous TV producer in the '60s to being a household name. Nearly, not quite. Yeah, William Shatner, but it was- and 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 after it. After Star Trek ended, he didn't have the same. It's kind of it's it's sad. It's something we can be compassionate about. He didn't have the same kind of success with anything else, and for years he kept trying to have another hit. And he tried a bunch of different things: the mm-hmm. Questor tapes, Planet Earth, Genesis Two. He kept trying to do new things. He had a movie called Pretty Maids All in a Row. And just nothing else he did worked. Star Trek was his one thing. And he really wanted to prove he wasn't a one-trick pony. But eventually he got to the point of, okay, this is my thing. Can we recapture the magic a second time? And we got Next Generation. Yeah. By, by the way, uh, yeah. just real quick, that, that documentary is called Chaos on the Bridge. Right, right, okay. right. right. Yeah. Uh, one, one series that sort of had a little bit of success – uh, that was much after Next Gen and all that was something called Earth Final Conflict that ran. Oh, but that was after he was dead. Oh. That was based on notes that he had made. There and like, yeah, there were like two or three series that Majel Roddenberry brought out produced. within right, a yeah. couple of years of his death. That the other was Gene Andromeda. Roddenberry's. Yeah, yeah, Andromeda. Well, that's what I was going to say. They marketed it as Gene Roddenberry's. They put his name on it, which was a, 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 a blatant attempt to cash in on his yes, uh, reputation for Star Trek, but it shows how much, you know, he, you know, he had become so well known, you know, part of the, part of the culture, uh, because of Star Trek. But like you said, yeah, he's a one trick pony who really didn't break out other than uh, with Star Trek. Um, he had that one great idea to put it, to, to, mm-hmm. as we say. Um, so, uh, that's uh, that's what I have for notes on this, Jimmy. Did you have any other notes on you want to share? Not at this time. As we go further in the series, there will be a lot to talk about. But I, yeah. but serves as a good intro. Yeah, I think so. Especially if you're not as familiar with it, like like Father Corey. This will be fun to talk, talk about mm-hmm. the original series with you. Like like for me, watching Classico with with you guys, it's a lot of fun uh, for me. And so likewise, I hope for you. Um. Did you have any final thoughts on uh, the original series? You know, actually, you know, kind of one, one thought I had was it's interesting to how popular Star Trek became and the the cons and things like that, you know, going right. uh, fan conventions and stuff like that. And, of course, you, you can't fail to talk about the original series and all that and not mention Galaxy Quest, which was kind of based off of, of oh, William Shatner's awesome. big meltdown at a convention. <laughs> yeah, a classic uh an infamous moment for William Shatner. Um, you know, I'm making a note right now that I want to do episodes of this um, Secrets of Star Trek on the fan conventions. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever been, but if you have, oh, yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to talk about just that experience. But also, we need to talk about Galaxy Quest from a Star Trek yeah. perspective. 
we should talk about Galaxy Quest. We should also talk about things like his unsuccessful series, like um, uh, Planet Earth and Genesis Two, mm-hmm. which were meant to be set in the Star Trek universe before the time of the original series. Right. They were they were intended to be prequels. It wasn't one of them set somewhere around the year two thousand or something like that, like twenty two hundred or something, twenty one hundred. Okay, I thought there was one of them that was closer to contemporary time, but of course it was still science fiction. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to to kind of – that is a, a good opportunity for me to say what you know, listeners can expect. So we're going to do some of the stuff that's, that talks about the, the the ideas around Star Trek, like fan productions, conventions, and Gene Barry's other stuff. We're also going to just talk about uh, episodes of the se- various series. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about – in depth, you know, dedicate an episode of Secret of Star Trek to Amok Time, for example. Uh, but uh, so you, we're going to have a lot of, of both kinds of, uh, of discussions. If you have any ideas of things you want to hear us talk about, feel free. One thing I want to point out is um, this is episode thir- uh, 14 of Secrets of Star Trek. Um, although last the, our last episode, the last week that we released, was our first one as, uh, as me and Jimmy and Father Corey. There were twelve the new ep- crew. The new crew. There were twelve episodes of Secrets of Star Trek that were produced around. I think it was two thousand ten that they uh, came out uh, with Father Roderick and Maria Johnson and Mike Kuypers and a couple other folks who were uh, doing it at that time. And uh, and those are all online. You can go back and look at them. They're not in the 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 stream, um, the main uh, stream, because of their because age. of their age. Yeah, and they're they're different. They're, they they recorded them differently. Uh, they had a different format. Uh, so, but if you're interested, you can certainly welcome to go back and check those out. Um, so, uh, that's it for us right now. So, you know, what is your, what were your impressions of the original series, folks? You know, well, what did you, or what did you think of uh, our, what we had to say, our choice of, uh, of, of great episodes? Did we miss your favorite episode? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the uh, sqpn Facebook page. Leave us some feedback there on the, uh, the 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 comments for this episode. You can also send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. Please, if you can, go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, give us a five-star review uh, because I know you love this new uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, leave us a, you know, a little written, some written notes. Uh, when you do that, it helps us reach more people with the, the podcast. And, and so we greatly appreciate you doing that. Uh, for us at, uh, at this time because uh, as we're trying to relaunch this uh, we, w- we want to reach as a wide an audience as we can you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be doing the same sort of thing we're doing now but for the next generation uh, so until then Jimmy Aiken thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek live long and prosper Dom <laughs> Father Corey Stika thank you as well well, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, go boldly where no man has gone before.